Welcome to Crossing the Chasm, a sound physician's podcast covering a broad range of topics relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Greg Johnson. One of the bigger challenges in addressing diversity, equity, inclusion has to do with the fact that many of the topics that are addressed in these discussions are considered third rail topics. Uh, In polite conversation, we're told to avoid discussing religion, just avoid discussing sex and sexuality, um, and avoid discussing politics. And while there may be some validity to that in terms of pushing specific agenda items, our opportunity in not only this podcast, but exploring diversity, equity, inclusion is really about reinitiating these conversations and ensuring that people can hear each other and ensure that there's specific dialogue. This episode is going to approach one of those topics, not specifically religion, but the concept of faith as an area and opportunity of diversity and inclusivity. We'll hear from someone who has deep roots in his own story in um, how he evaluates faith and how that's incorporated in medicine. And apropos of this particular podcast, how that fits into an inclusive discussion of and a holistic approach in terms of patient care. So join us for furthering the conversation uh, regarding faith and medicine here on Crossing the Chasm. All right, welcome back to Crossing the Chasm. And for this episode, I am grateful to be joined by Dr. Hashem Hazabala. And I never know if I'm pronouncing your name right. And I'm really trying to make sure that I'm doing it right, doing justice by people's names every single time I say it. But really glad to have you here, Hashem. And just for our guests, uh, Hashem is currently uh, serves a number of different roles. Not only is he Associate Regional Medical Director for Sounds. Uh, Sound Physicians Critical Care Practice. He's the department chair at Rush Coakley. Uh, He's an adjunct professor of medicine um, at Drexel University College of Medicine. Uh, He is one of the top 50 most influential voices of healthcare um, by Medical Life. Um, But I just know him as an excellent doctor and a good person. And so I'm really happy that he has chosen to join us here. Welcome, Hashem. Oh, thank you, Dr. Johnson. I am uh, so honored to be here. I was saying uh, before we recorded, when he told me, when I saw him at our uh, director summit, I watched you on my podcast. I was like, yes, yes, I'm so happy. (laughs) And I was picked by the esteemed Dr. Greg Johnson to be on his uh, fantastic podcast. So I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for that. So as we always do, Hashem, want you really to kick us off in terms of just telling us a little bit of your story. How did you get where you are and why are you doing what you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, thank you again. Um, I, uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. I don't know what it was. It's something, it's, there, was, there was not one time or one experience that said this is what I want to do I just from as long as I can remember 
I wanted to be in healthcare. I wanted to be a healer. I wanted to be a physician. Um, I, I do have physicians in my family. Multiple uncles are, are physicians. I would shadow them uh, as much as I could. Um, uh, try to learn the lingo. Uh, kind of funny people would see me. I was kind of a big child, so they would see me asking my. I would wear a scrubs, and they would I'd be asking my my uncle, "What's a CBC?" and and people, the patients would look at me like, who is that doctor who's asking what a CBC is? <laughs> so <laughs> I frightened the patients. And he's like, no, no, he's just shadowing. Don't worry. Um, but I just never, you know, it was just the only thing I wanted to do. And no matter what, it's my, you know, my undergrad, I was at Marquette, like you said, I'm my, my undergraduate um, uh, schooling was at Marquette. I was in biomedical engineering, but I, I really wanted to be, that was, my only path and i was very grateful that uh to, to god that i am uh in healthcare that they did choose me <laughs> at rush to do my medical training and I, it's just um you know people joke all the time about living their dream i honest to god i'm living my dream every day that this is the only thing i ever wanted to do and i love what i do um and so the it's not cliche when you say if you love what you do you never work a day in your life um that is absolutely true i really enjoy even just this past weekend i was working in the hospital normally i get bed sores uh during my weekend shifts because it's so slow and boring this weekend was uh, nothing <laughs> of the sort <laughs> very strange um, and still at the end of the day when you when i walk out of the hospital uh i walk out with a smile uh, even though it was very challenging, had a lot of tough cases. Um, it seemed like every rapid response became a, a new admission to the intensive care unit that weekend, this past weekend. But still, the, 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 it's why I do what I do, and I really I really enjoy it. I was in, after I finished my training, I was in private practice, uh, pulmonary critical care, traditional mom and pop, you know, office, inpatient, uh, pulmonary critical care practice for seven and a half years. When we started our critical care program at Rush Copley, and which is in Aurora, Illinois, the second largest city in Illinois, um, I uh, the opportunity to start the program from scratch uh, under the old the intensivist group, which is now became Sound Critical Care, uh, was just too good to pass up. Um, and I have been there. This is my I'll, I will finish. It will be eleven years this coming January. So. Um, running the program and i, I just I, the professional growth that i've had with sound has been tremendous i miss my friends uh and i don't miss the old practice right i, I don't miss my old job i i've never looked back and it's just been a, a fantastic to be part of a really a world-class medical practice well thank you for sharing that and uh, and congratulations bravo 11 years is is something to absolutely applaud thank you so, so why this is a, obviously a podcast on diversity, equity, inclusion um, in healthcare. Why is DEI important to you? Or I think more provocatively, is it? <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the current, current events and foreign affairs have taught me, have, I think, really brought home the importance of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, because in this day, and I think right now, what I have the we have the blessing and the ability to be at a distance of what's happening, even though the passions are very high. Um, I can there is still an element of objectivity, and I am seeing people 
colleagues, friends, neighbors talk past one another rather than talk to each other. Uh, it's distressing to be able to not hear or feel or acknowledge the other side's trauma. And that is a problem. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big problem. And I think the importance of talking to one another and hearing each other is so important because that's how you forge common ground and that how, that's how you can um, build a bridge to a better place. When you hear the other side, when you hear another person's trauma, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm also an, uh, an ordained minister, um, and I give the sermon on a regular basis. And the, the, we had a vigil for peace at our hospital this past week, and I gave a sermon about it the following a few days later. And uh, we talked about, it was, um, there was a candle lighting ceremony where everyone lit from the central candle, and they put it in a, in a, in a thing, in a container. And the reverend, the, the chaplain, we were talking afterwards, and he said, uh, can you see the light in the other? And in my sermon, I reflected that I, uh, while challenging, sometimes I can, I can see the light in my neighbor. I can see the light in a colleague. I can see the light in someone walking in the street. It's hard, but I can also maybe see the light in a patient who's hurling abuses at us while intoxicated in the intensive care unit. And I, and I said, it's super hard for me to see the light in a murderer. Uh, I've lost a child, and uh, I know that trauma, I know that pain, and I still, having lost a child, I cannot wrap my head around knowing that my child was kidnapped by a terrorist, and I can't wrap my head around having to pick up my child dead under rubble. And I know the trauma of losing a child. The problem is... When you talk, it seems I don't know why everyone is making it mutually exclusive. Like trauma is mutually exclusive, and it's not. That it's not. You know, I learned in well, you know sound. Uh, uh, let me do a leadership um, uh, 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 crucial conversations, leadership um, training, and they talked about yes, but when you say yes, but everything before the but is completely right. dismissed. After that cl at class, I try to never use the word but ever. Yeah. And in my writing, in my speaking, and everything like that. So I can, and it's so it's not, it's not a yes but situation. It's a yes and. Yes, I hear your trauma, and there is other trauma. You know what I'm saying? So I think the challenge of diversity is to see the light in the other when it's hard and i think it's it's so important that we talk to each other and not past each other i'm not saying i'm perfect at it i'm not saying right. i have a solution and i think it's so important and this 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 recent this just this current conflict as horrible as it is as is teaching me this how important it is that we talk to each other to each other not past each other and it's 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 too true, and I, um, 
I've I've heard and read about your the loss of your child, and I every time I hear it, it, it obviously tears at me as a parent and just as a human being. And and I appreciate your sharing it. It's it's I I, I can only imagine how difficult it is. I also think, uh, in the in the spirit of your and and I also think that it is an ongoing reminder we have an obligation to listen to each other to talk to each other because um, part of what we do in DEI part of what we do in the podcast is share stories so that way we can build empathy we can promote the opportunity to listen to other stories because then we can identify something in the other person where to your point we we build bridges we connect and we identify you know where we are shared because we want to celebrate our differences celebrate the what what makes us unique we also need to be able to utilize diversity, equity, inclusion to know that we're, we're obligated to build bridges with each other, which seems pretty self-explanatory, but <laughs> to your point, it's not. Yeah. It's not, and it's not It's not easy. And, and again, it's so easy to just, oh, so that means X. So, oh, and, and it's so, the, 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 the rhetoric is so polarized now where there's again it's it's not mutually exclusive and 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 um and and and, and the challenge on me and I, and I challenge myself is to is to try to see the light in someone where it's really hard to find it yeah. uh, and uh, we're you know we're we're talking about spirituality and, and in the sermon i talked i said that i and i admitted my struggle and those prophets and messengers who came before us who are examples they could see the light of other people even the most wretched uh that society dismissed as the most wretched they were able to see the light in everyone and that's an example that's an that's inspiration for me and it doesn't mean that i'm going to do it well it doesn't mean that i can do it all the time um and it's just a constant reminder that it's that to, to try to try my best and uh and maybe maybe we shouldn't get too disappointed in ourselves when we fall because it's a very difficult standard, right? It's very hard to, it's very hard to do. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about how it, was it during your medical training? Was it after your medical training? What prompted you to decide to become an ordained minister? So I've been giving the sermon at, at, at our weekly services, not every single week, but ever since I was in college. Um, and then uh, I had the opportunity to officiate marriages. And for me to do that, I have to get an official, like, reverend title. So there is a, there is a non-denominational church. I think it's based in California uh, called the Universal Life Church. And uh, um, there are some famous names who are ordained ministers. So I became ordained through that church. It's non-denominational. It allows me to have an official title um, uh, so I can officiate marriages. And so... So that that's where so I, I'll joke that I am not just the, I am the Reverend Doctor Hashim Hasbala. <laughs> if you, you know, if, if ever you put me down, I, I have absolutely learned something new about you today, Ashram, and that okay. you are now the Reverend Doctor, and uh, I will refer oh, to you as that. Thank you, thank, and of course now I don't kind of mention that to the chaplains who actually did the work of getting a doctor in divinity <laughs> well, I just got a certificate you know and I, and I just learned the other day that I through the universal life church have the ability to absolve sins so for the right price 
I can't. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> well, maybe you can uh, show you know, maybe a ticket, maybe, you know, a couple million dollars. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, in all, in all seriousness, I think um, the, 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 the spiritual, the religious devotion has always been important to me. Uh, my success, I devote to the, to the divine. I am not perfect. I fall short of my devotion all the time. At the same time, I, can, I will, would never be where I am without the Lord and his blessing and his grace. So I try to pay that back. I try to pay that forward as much as I can by living a life of righteousness as much as I can, helping people as much as I can. And in the intensive care unit, it is the most vulnerable time for these patients and their families. And it's an opportunity. I don't, t I, I, I say minister to them and it really is, but it's, it's not like in, in imposing a religious belief, but it's an, an ability to help people at their most difficult and speaking their language. So many people speak the language of faith, especially when they are facing critical illness, their families and the, the patients themselves, if they're not, you know, comatose or ill or intubated or whatever. And a lot of, I see a lot of physicians are uncomfortable with the language of faith and I'm not right. They, and they, they'll, they'll use it against me sometimes. And I'm like, we're believers. And I'm like, so am I, you know? So I think it's so, it, it really helps enhance our practice when I'm not afraid of the language of faith. Well, and, and it, I'm sorry, please continue. I'm just, I'm in that same framework of what I was, I was trying to say. And I think, you know, the podcast itself is touching the third rail. You're not supposed to about race, politics, or religion. But the simple fact of the matter is that, and you've written about this. You, you wrote an article uh, a while back about doctors should not shy away from faith. Uh, and um, I, I'm very interested, you know, particularly in not only the political environment and, the, and sort of the world political environment we're in, but, you know, how do you, how does one walk that fine line where it doesn't necessarily become proselytizing, but really just focusing on the need of the person and the family, you know, person in the bed or the family that is dealing with a loved one who is, in, in your instance, uh, most commonly critically ill and potentially mortally, mortally ill? Right. It's again, it's speaking the language, being the same frame of reference. Yeah. The specifics are different. Every religious tradition has its own specifics. And I think all of us have in common a belief in the divine, uh, the worship of the, of, of the same God, of the one God uh, that is the God of humanity. And I think that's where we start. And, and I don't go into the particulars because I, I have enough to work with just in the, in the belief of the divine. And so I know, and I tell them, you know, you know um, God does all the work. I just fill out the paperwork uh, as, a, as, the, as the physician, right? So when, we, when I'm comfortable in that space and I tell them, so for example, someone who I don't think we should resuscitate in case of cardiac arrest because all I'm going to do is break their ribs and, and harm them on their way out. I'll tell them if, if despite everything that I'm doing, your loved one's heart stops, that's God calling you home or calling them home. And who am I to stand in the way, breaking their ribs? They recognize then that I get it, that I'm not intimidated by their belief. I'm not dismissing their belief. I'm telling them, yes, I'm a believer too, and the Lord has laws. 
And in this situation, especially brain death, for example, heart's beating, yeah, but it's not life. And I tell them, the Lord has laws. There are laws, and the law says he's passed away. And now it's just to let him, you know, let him suffer, no longer suffer. And I, 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 during the pandemic, I've told them there are things that are worse than death. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Worse than death. And yeah. uh, the pandemic taught me that. So uh, being able to be comfortable in that space shows them that they are, they are, uh, they're not, there's someone that's not intimidated, not scared, or not dismissive. Because a lot of times to be dismissive, oh, okay, you're you're one of those, right? Um, no, I am. I'm trying to heal you, and I recognize my my own limitations. It, it allows humility for me, because there's a lot of people in our field who think they are divine. <laughs> and um, because and, of abilities, very true. <laughs> absolutely, and the divine and the divine tends to show you you're not divine, and that's that would be a tragedy that you would harm a patient. Through that lesson, right? It's one of my rules in the ICU. I have a I have a book out called How Not to Kill Someone in the ICU, um, and one of my rules is your ego can be dangerous. So <laughs> uh, it would be a tragedy for you to harm a patient because you're of your ego and the and the divine teaching you a lesson on the back of your patient, right? Even though I don't think it would punish that person, but still. I think it's it allows me humility to know that I have my ability. I'll do the best I can, and I recognize that I am not divine. That that life and death is not in my hands. And when they and I, I really feel in my heart of hearts when they hear a physician saying that, it makes them more comfortable that they understand. And then we can help mitigate the suffering of of the of the of the patient. Because the last thing I would want for myself or my family is to go out of this world with someone pounding on my chest. Yeah, no, I definitely understand and agree with that. Tell, share with me and the listeners, you know, you mentioned the discomfort of bringing, of introducing that concept of spirituality into the bedside and knowing that there, again, are diverse views around spirituality tell why why are do you think people are challenging you on um bringing that into it as part of your practice and you know and, and can you also share you know what you you know a patient's view of you know the benefit of doing that yeah i think i think there's a fear uh, on our part and i have that fear too of proselyt- like you're saying proselytizing because the, the 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 specifics are so different and i don't and and imposing my religious view on on a patient is a big no-no and i'm completely against that so i think we have to be careful not to impose i my own religious view for example i don't drink alcohol right i don't i don't take in take in intoxicants so if someone who comes into the our icu with alcohol withdrawal and it's quite abusive to me and my staff for mainly the nursing staff um it, it can be a challenge for someone who doesn't drink alcohol in the beginning, right? And 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 not not because it's a, a wellness thing or a health thing; it's a religious thing. So, being very careful not to judge that patient from a, oh my God, this is this is someone who doesn't follow this or whatever is very is very challenging and very important. And so, I think stay away from that completely is what a lot a lot of clinicians may do to not fall into that trap. And I think. I hear that, and at the same time, when you are critically ill, you know there are, they, they say there are no uh, there are no atheists in a foxhole, 
right? When you are faced with critical illness, um, so many people, maybe maybe not everyone, so many people reach out to their spiritual, uh, their spirituality, their religious faith, to God. And I think it's we have to recognize that as clinicians. And if we can successfully navigate that by also letting them feel comfortable that yes, I also understand. It's the same thing like when I bring up my daughter's death. When you when when we as clinics, one of my rules in my book, when we as clinicians say, look, I understand, uh, do we do we do we really understand? Do we understand what it's like to be have cancer? Do we really understand what it's like to suffer from liver disease, renal disease, being dialyzed three times a week? We really understand, do we? So when I tell them, listen, I lost a child that I get it, I've been there, they recognize that I understand. I really do. And it helps. It helps make that connection. So when I say, listen, I get it. I've been here. I can't. Oh, I think 99.999999% of the time I make a connection with the, with the patient's family. And I allow to do my job is to mitigate my patient's suffering. I either can help them conquer critical illness, which is why I became a doctor in the first place. Or if I know they're not, I'm not going to, I have the humility to recognize I'm not going to conquer their critical illness. Can I mitigate their suffering to the best of my ability? Either way, I do. I, I, I am, I am successful, right? Even if it ends up in the patient's death, and allowing to navigate the spiritual aspect because it's so important and it's uni- almost universal. I think is a is a major asset for a clinician to do. Not easy. Got to be careful. You can't judge, and the, and it, it takes work. It takes practice, right? It's a medical practice, right? It takes practice. And I think if we if we can do it right, it will it will have tremendous benefits for our patients. Absolutely, Jay. I see you eagerly waiting to to enter the conversation, and Jay. For those who have listened for a while, and I know Hashem has both listened and now participating, but Jay always waits in the wings just long enough, but then he jumps in with his questions. So I want to give him time and space. Well, thanks, Greg. Um, And and thanks, Hashem. So I guess my question I'm wondering is, you know, we're talking about how... You know, your faith informs you as a, as a clinician, you know, as how you treat your patients. But I do kind of wonder also, you know, how does how does your faith inform you with you know, your relationship to your colleagues, to, to you know, having a staff, um, you know, the nurses, all those things? Because, you know, it's, I, th- I think it's really kind of being a healer and, and, and working with the patient, you know, physician relationship is very unique. But I think, you know, at the same time, we're dealing with all sorts of people. And you know, your faith isn't only on that side of your of your work life but you know, in all facets of your life, I realize. So I'm kind of curious to see how that informs you as, as a colleague and as, as a boss, all those kinds of parts of, of, of being a doctor. Uh, that's, I'm so happy you asked that question. That's so important. Again, you know, I, I, I talk about, the, the, I talk about the, um, the ideal or the standard, and I recognize I fall short of that standard uh, every day. And at the same time, my faith informs me that I am not God, one of the things I prayed for when I got into medical school is that, Lord, don't ever make me think I'm you. Because that would be devastating. And I think that permeates every aspect of my professional life and that I um, have to be fair because I am going to face the Lord and be accountable for my actions. So I have to be a fair boss. I have to be not be arrogant, um, try to listen and, and include and stand up for my team, uh, the nursing staff. My my physician colleagues, other colleagues in the medical staff, and try to uh, try to try try as best I can. My family will do, will 
dispute that I'm good at it at home. And at the same time, I'll try to exude a sense of humility as much as I can um, while, while leading, right? Being the servant leader um, uh, is, uh, I think, is, uh, resonates deeply with me. So I, I, I really try to be as fair as I can, try to be as nice as I can, uh, having good character as best as possible. I got my family will dispute that I'm that I'm that at home. And at the same time, uh, it, it's a, something that it's a, it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong um, challenge to try to live those values as best as I can, which is one of the reasons why I write is because if I write it, I have to live it. Okay. So if I don't live it, I'm not going to write about it. The same thing about my preaching. If I don't try to live it or live it as best as I can, I'm not going to preach about it. I'm not going to, because I cannot stand there and tell others to do what I don't do myself. In fact, our scripture says so. Why do you do what you do not say? Or why do you say what you do not do, rather? You know, it is a big thing to God that you say what you don't do. So I think it keeps me honest um, as a person that, uh, that, that, I, that I write. That's, that's why I do it. So, so it keeps me honest. And I, and I think... That's the and it's an ongoing challenge to try to live up to those standards as best as I can. Not always good at it, but I but I'm 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 trying. I think what I'm grateful for is that I'm not held to to that I am. What's important is the journey, not the end, because the end of perfection is never going to be an end yeah, for me, a human being. The journey is what I, is what I'm is what I'm being rewarded for, or what I'm being accounted held accountable to. And I think that I think that's I'm grateful because if it was about the end, would never, I would never be successful. Thank you for that. Um, usually at this time, since uh, I've asked you to do uh, all of this, I, I turn to the guest and say, "What question do you have for me?" Um, and I take uh, you've got your Cubs shirt on. I know that our guests, our listeners can't see it, but you've got your Cubs shirt on. So I take high, hard fastballs um, as well as ones in the dirt. Uh, <laughs> so whatever you got for me, I'm 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 here for it. A couple years ago, in 2020, before the the during the pandemic and the whole thing with George Floyd and everything, I I was I was so moved by your by sharing your experience. We talked about talking to each other, not. Asked each other, and, I, and and let me ask why did why did you want to do this podcast? Yeah, you're the chief diversity officer of Sound, but okay, but why why? Well, my original purpose of doing the podcast was it, it's threefold, I, uh, and I don't think that I've really changed in, in that time. I think number one is um, that it's an opportunity to educate. Similar to you, the part of the reason I got into medicine was, I, and I tell everybody that will listen, this is the greatest profession uh, on the planet because you're a healer, but yes, you get to heal bodies, but to the point that you've done, and you've done it to a greater extent, you are a minister, you are an educator, you are, um, in many cases, you're a nutritionist, you are a counselor, you are, you can be really whatever you want to be and that can be magnified and and uh, I come from uh, I, I come from a family of educators my father was a physician but my mother's family is deep into education and um, having the opportunity to educate um, people on the important on important topics that I think are underserved 
you know, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is, is an opportunity. I think second, it is uh, it's an opportunity to um, provide a broader audience to share stories and to help to build that empathy that I think is necessary to uh, say make the world a better place, but at least make healthcare a better place in terms of understanding what um, how we can do things and 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 how we can approach things. And lastly, it's about you know it's part of the frustration, and I think in many instances part of the the pushback that you know a lot of folks are seeing around DEI as a topic is because it's so massive and they feel it's blame culture, uh, and you know somebody's got to be wrong for another group to be right. I completely disagree with that principle and understanding the part that you stated. Trauma is trauma. We need to be able to discuss it. And more importantly, we can then begin, once we have it discussed and we understand the problem, we can then focus on solutions. And the proudest aspect that I have of this podcast is really less about admiring the problem and more about what are practical things that you, me, Jay, any of our listeners can just leave the podcast and go do because we're not, it, you know, it's always about the 1% better every day. And if we can do that, and this podcast is a vehicle to do so, then by all means, I can do it. Uh, I, I mean, absolutely. You couldn't be uh, more, uh, more right. I think, um, we're too, uh, and I, as physicians and clinicians and healers, I think we're we're held to outcomes, and sometimes the we're not going to reach the outcome, or right. the outcome is the wrong measure, right? It's the how can we make everything better, a, a little bit better? How can we become voices for 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 good, right? Uh, in the current situation with the Holy Land, how can how can we lend ourselves to be voices for peace uh, beyond the conflict now? Like and and how how do we do that? I think uh, a, a little bit of good at at a time is is, is something all, all that we can ask. And just I'm, like I said, I I was I'm super psyched to that you um, that you included me in this in, in this conversation. I really am. Well, I, I'm again remain grateful that you're here and and being part of the solution and dialogue because I think you know at the end of the day. You know, the challenge of discussing um, religion or spirituality is exactly that. There are people with very firmly held beliefs um, and, and, you know, around what is right and what is wrong. What you articulated and certainly has been my experience at the bedside is, and we discuss it in, in DEI circles, right, is cultural humility, but recognizing that a there's an obligation as a physician. We have to meet our patients and their families where they are. Their spirituality accompanies them. It doesn't stay outside the door. <laughs> Very frequently it is in the room, whatever that it is, right? And knowing that my view and how I treat this patient and his or her family is a requirement for me to humble myself access my own spirituality and find where my own uh, connection to a higher power meets that that particular patient. And I also know that while it's a smaller portion of the, the population, there are also non-believers out there. And 
you know, figuring out how I can access that, you know, access a portion of me not to judge, but to understand that this person has their own needs too, and you can still bring what is necessary for them to to do well at the bedside. Exactly, and it's not like I walked in and say, "Good, hello, I'm Dr. Hasabala, and the Lord is wonderful today. How are you doing?" <laughs> I know some, and I know some docs who do. I, I, I genuinely know some docs who do, and, and, and I say that. But to the point that, but the point that you bring, um, and, and I, and I thought that how you described it navigates it perfectly. The simple act of stating, you know, to some patients, when you see that it's spirituality and religion is important to them, can I pray with you? And I know I, too, have prayed at the bedside with Muslims, with Jews, with, with people of various um, uh, Christian faiths. And nobody asked me what my background was. They just appreciated the fact that I wanted to be there with them and, and, you know, and to be able to participate with them uh, at the bedside. That, that alone was what help make that connection and honestly i believe made it better for me a better treating physician for them oh absolutely and in fact there's i've written i wrote a poem which is a prayer for uh anyone who uh, uh passes and then donates organs uh to other people and i i penned a poem which is a prayer and we read it whenever before a patient goes to the operating room so that they can donate their organs. And again, it's just universally appreciated. They asked me to do one in Spanish. I do it in Spanish as well. I speak, I speak, I speak Spanish. So um, I think it's just, it's so, it's so, and, and if, and so I, because I don't bring it in when I walk in, some do, and I, I respond to it. That's great. Some do. I don't bring it in right when I walk in the door and I, I wait to, for the family and the patient to, to give me their cue. If they give me that cue, then I'm comfortable jump in. And if not, then it's science and tech, you know, tech and and techniques, techniques and percentages and probabilities. Because again, it, it, my job, like you said, uh, uh, Dr. Johnson, my job is a he, as a healer, and um, you have to be able to find. I love how you said that. You meet patients and their families where they are, and so whatever tools we can bring, whether it's medicine, whether it's the spirituality. Um, when it's needed and how that'll help our patients heal is what's more, most important. And it's different for every single patient. It's, it's, it's different for every single patient. And so you, uh, I think we have to be able to navigate that with um, sophistication. It's not, okay. there's, there's no formula. It's, it's different. It's nuance. The world is the world. We're living in a world of nuance and it's so, and because of, I think because of social media and the lack of attention span and everything, we, we want everything to be, Click black and white. It's not the world is nuanced. Well, it's nuanced, and it's a reminder that what we do in working with patients continue to take time. And you know, it, time is uh, it is a precious resource, and there are so many different pressures on it. But the time that you take, and it, it's never as long as anybody thinks it is, <laughs> but the time that it takes to recognize where the patient and family are to the time it takes to take a proper history and and recognize the importance of their spirituality because some people do say it right up front. I, you know, I've, I've walked in the patient's room, praise the Lord. Okay, you've told, told me yeah. where, where, where you are. And, you know, and other people are in, in harder places where, you know, I mean, I 
I, I've been there where people are cursing their maker too. It's, yeah. you know, because of what whatever's gone on, but it, it does take time. But I think it's recognizing that we have the opportunity to humble ourselves. I think we have the opportunity to recognize where people are and to find the light in others, um, whatever that is, even if it's dramatically different than than our, our own experience. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and that's why I love the term healer, because it's not because sometimes um, healing doesn't mean you're not going to have a scar. Uh, healing doesn't mean that you're not that that healing is not necessarily always cured either. Right. So, um, uh, I, I, I mean, bringing relief uh, and that, again, and that's why I'm grateful every single day that I, I'm in a career that I can bring relief to others and I can be a source of light for others. And, um, and I, I, my two, and, and so to manifest the gratitude to the Lord for being given this privilege is to try to be the best I can in, in every aspect of, of, of best physician I can, best leader I can, best doc, father, best neighbor, best co-worker, best chairman of medicine, whatever it is. It's the only way I can show gratitude. Um, I don't always do it. I don't always. I always. I fall short a lot, and at the same time, I'm. I'm going to keep trying as long as I. As long as I have breath in me. Oh, admirable qualities. Things that uh, I love hearing from a fellow physician, um, and and an opportunity to grow closer. Um, I promised you that uh, I wasn't going to hold you indefinitely, but I, I want to hear. I do want to get a couple things uh, more from you, which is, you know, we've uh, we've tried to explore a variety of different topics and as, as well as a, a number of different individuals to bring to the show. So what's something that you would love to hear about um, within the framework of, of what we discuss or an individual that you think we should interview, uh, whom we you think we should interview? Because I, I think uh, I love hearing from folks. Um, I love doing the additional outreach and um, helping myself to grow as well as, uh, um, you know, again, help educate our, our listeners. And the, uh, the caveat to if you, if you have any suggestions on a guest, can you help us uh, get that guest on here as well? As, is, Jay, Jay is always, he's never too proud to say, we need help. <laughs> we all need help. We, we all need help. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, uh, two people come to mind. The first is... Uh, Dr. Omar Latif, he is the system CEO of Rush University Medical Center here in Chicago. He and I were co-fellows, so he's my brother from another mother. Um, he and and I, he is very. It's so important to him for him to track. He's Rush and him, Rush in general, him in particular, are on a mission to um, cure the disparity and it's the striking disparity in life expectancy from uh, Streeterville, which is a mile and a half north of the west side of Chicago, where you'll have a life expectancy in the 70s. And I think it's like 16 years or something like that, shorter in the west side of Chicago where Russia is. And trying to heal that disparity and, and the things that he did during the COVID pandemic that Rush did that stood out, that got national attention. I think the I think that hearing what he's doing and his his perspective and point of view would be really um, fantastic, I think. And I'm happy to facilitate uh, connecting um, you with, with, with Dr. Latif. Um, 
And there's a, a, a colleague of mine, he's a co-editor at Medical Life, who his name is Gil Dash. He is in the digital health space. He's not, I don't think he's a physician. I think he's, um, but he was, he, he was an, he's an army, he's an army medic uh, in the Israeli army. Um, he has, he helped enemy soldiers uh, when he was, uh, I think, deployed, I think in the 1980s. Uh, he, I've been on his uh, show, Health Unabashed. I think um, he would be a very interesting, in fact, in fact, I would love to be on with him. I'm not trying to get more space on you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we like I, that too. <laughs> I think I, I would love to have he and I talk about what we talked about, not, you know, talk, not talking past one another and getting his perspective on not only digital health, but also his, he's also a, a, a chaplain and he ministers um, from the from the from the Jewish perspective, so um, that would be a, I think that would be a really cool episode. And I'm, again, I'm happy to facilitate contacting, uh, putting us all into, uh, in, into contact. We we will take you up on that. We uh, we we've been discussing getting um, more than just the the one on one to to add some additional dialogue, and so that's uh, it's a, it's an interesting thought, and uh, we will absolutely take you up on it. Oh yeah, and if you want to co-host, I have officially applied. <laughs> awesome to hear. Awesome to hear. Well, uh, Ajum, thank you so much for being here. This was a fabulous conversation for me. Uh, I enjoyed um, not only listening to your perspective, um, but the energy and the vulnerability with which you you spoke. And uh, I look forward to having you back on. I think you you pretty much guaranteed yourself coming back on as a as a repeat guest. <laughs> Yes, go Cubs. Go Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for Crossing the Chasm, a sound physician's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to Crossing the Chasm wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Physicians is a multi specialty medical group committed to improving quality and reducing the cost of healthcare for patients in communities across the country. Learn more at www.soundphysicians.com.